thanks everyone for joining us on our second podcast. Uh, just to remind you, this is the uh, Startup Life podcast from uh, Naki Noku, and today we're meeting with Olivia Vonita from uh, Cabnia Coffee, uh, the uh, sustainable cold drip coffee powered by women. Um, today we kind of wanted to talk about a couple of topics, but uh, principally about uh, support networks for entrepreneurs, um, because that is a significant area of concern. I think a lot of us feel like we're alone when we do this. It feels like a lonely journey. So talking about how we can build those support networks, how do we empower others in our networks as well, um, as how do we uh, stay focused on the mission that we set out on first. I think those, those are great things to talk about today. So Olivia, welcome. Um, any uh, starting thoughts about coffee itself? Maybe describe a little bit about what you guys do and uh, share with us about uh, Cabnia. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, as the intro mentioned, I am Olivia, the CEO and founder of Cabnia Coffee. Um, I like to quickly describe for those who haven't heard of cold drip, although it's also known as slow drip or Kyoto style or that giant three foot tall glass chemistry set at the back of bougie coffee shops. It's all the same coffee style. Um, and I like to think about it like a shower for your coffee grounds, like a really slow shower. So traditional cold brew or immersion cold brew is basically some form of like a mason jar with water and coffee grounds inside of it. Cold drip is like a slow shower. So you're slowly dropping water drop by drop over the top. And then the secret ingredient is gravity and it pulls the water through and extracts these nuanced flavors. So you get tasting notes like you would with a, a good bottle of wine, even though you just have coffee and water. And the process naturally makes a concentrate, which is what we sell to our consumers in various size packaging and available in retail and online. And for us, um, all we're working towards a fully female-powered supply chain. We're almost there. And then going to tackle our next um, big thing in the gender equity space. That's awesome. Um, you know, that is a lot to do, and it's, uh, it's a very powerful mission. Um, you know, I, I'd love to delve a little bit more into coffee because, you know, coffee is a hot topic these days. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of folks have heard about coffee or, or grew up on coffee and immediately think of Starbucks coffee, which, as you know, can be a little bit bitter, uh, a little bit, uh, I don't want to say quite burnt, but it's it's um, it's a bit over the top. Um, s uh, since then, they've also brought out uh, something like a, a blonde roast, which is much better, I think, overall. I'm a big espresso guy, so I love, um, uh, you know, I, I watch James Hoffman, Jay Hoff, on uh, YouTube, and he's really awesome when he talks about coffee. Um, but maybe, uh, could, could you talk a little bit about the tasting notes for coffee? Because I, I know, you know, there are people on my podcast who love coffee. And some of the, the questions that people often have is, you know, you, see, you read these tasting notes on the, um, uh, on the bag. It, it, but it's very hard to extract those notes out. Maybe talk a little bit about the concept of co coffee concentrate as a way to sort of you know, uh, you you know, use a, a repeatable process that you guys have you know used to to be able to extract those flavors out of coffee uh, in an easy way for for you know folks at home. Sure. So, uh, for those who are curious, you can Google. There is a burgeoning field of like coffee tasting notes out of UC Davis, uh, a grad school at UC Davis. So, for those who are scientifically inclined, that resource is there. 
But the main difference of how this brewing style is able to extract these tasting notes is because it's extracting with room temperature water. Um, basically, the interaction of room temperature water with coffee grounds versus hot coffee with coffee grounds is pulling out different chemicals that interact with the taste buds on your tongue to form tasting notes. Um, and for people who aren't as sophisticated in the coffee knowledge space, coffee is a bit of a diva plant. Uh, in my opinion, it needs like rocky soil that's partially shaded at these specific elevations. It's a really hot climate. It's just, it needs all of these things um, to grow. And so there's a lot of one expertise that's developed at the production farms over generations with a lot of infrastructure and knowledge and machinery. And so um, all of those impact the chemical compounds that are in the bean that ultimately impact the tasting notes. So really volcanic soil is going to be one like changes the ph of the final coffee but gives like guatemala its typical taste profile because that's a really volcanic soil which is going to taste different than some coffee out of kenya or out of sumatra gotcha so when you see things like tasting notes of citrus or tasting notes of chocolate it's you know it sounds like it's a very complex kind of uh, uh, equation of like where the coffee was grown how it was washed or processed you know, how you brew it, what temperature, it's that all that stuff comes into it, right? Um, and, sorry, go ahead. No, 100%. And, like, there is a bunch of, like you mentioned, the different processing. It's, like, there is so much science and art that goes into bringing these tasting notes to the bean. Like, they have to be meticulously cared for, like, shipped and roasted and ground and brewed all with precision to be able to maintain those. And if you you know, mess up at any of those steps, you're ultimately like leaving off this, you're losing the tasting notes, which is what people go in for. Um, other thing I love to talk about as I chat about tasting notes, um, but when I was an unsophisticated coffee drinker in my past, when I was, you know, 20 and trying to stay awake in college, I tried to make my coffee taste as much like coffee ice cream as possible. So like lots of ice, lots of sugar, lots of milk. And now that I am like seeking out these high quality tasting notes in coffee without anything that's added, um, a really good step to, to learning that is there are these tasting classes where you have, you prepare like an orange, if you're, if the tasting notes taste citrus and you're trying to find that, you like sniff an orange peel and then sniff the coffee and taste the coffee. And it's a really great way to like train your palate to recognize these different tastes. Because when I first saw tasting notes, I was like, what? This just tastes like coffee. And then as I've grown and refined my palate over time, I'm like, wow, it really does have these fantastic tasting notes that give it this complex, bright, uh, interesting flavor. Yeah. Instead of just tasting like sugar. Right. And, and uh, cream. Right. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, that's not, to, that's not to say it's anything wrong with adding cream or sugar, but I think learning to appreciate various foods um, for what they are, uh, it takes time. It takes a lot of you know, trying different kinds of coffee. And, you know, because I'm kind of a geek, I have an espresso machine at home, not cold brew, but, you know, we found my wife was like, why do you get really into these, these details of coffee? But now, now that we've done enough of it, we understand that things like freshness of the bean, the uh, place that it was roasted, I mean, how it was roasted, what, you know, what, uh, uh, whether it was dark roast or light roast or medium roast, uh, you know, the temperature of the water that we used to kind of uh, go through there, the grind size and the, and the pressure that builds in the basket, all of that affects whether or not you're able to taste anything. Because if you have it at one of those parameters wrong, like for example, the grind size is too coarse, water goes through it real fast, 
don't get the, the right taste. And so I love the concept of coffee concentrates because what you guys are doing is doing all that scientific work in the background, do, you know, producing a consistent product that has those flavor notes, and then you can reconstitute it at home. So um, I think the concept is really cool. And honestly, instant coffee has completely gone out of uh, favor these days. People see that as, as cheap and not very good coffee. So I think this is a great way to kind of bring back the convenience, but, but also having good quality, good tasting coffee. So I'm all for it. The other thing I love about it is um, that it's flexible. So we sell in eight serving and a 15 serving size. Mm -hmm. And like this morning, I woke up really early. I had some work to do. And so I poured myself like an XXL coffee versus if I had cold brew ready to drink cans, like I have 12 ounces and that's how much I have. Mm -hmm. um, it also lets me play with the strength. So sometimes if I'm headed to the gym, I'll just pour the concentrate over ice and like drink it on the rocks. Or my go-to is just one part ice, one part water, one part concentrate. But we've formulated the exact strength of the concentration so that it's good if you, it's delicious if you have it on the rocks, or you can dilute it down with water or milk uh, of your choice. I love a good maple oat milk latte with our dark roast um, to get these like really fun, like barista style beverages in your kitchen with stuff that you have around, like maple syrup and oat milk can make a really delicious beverage with the concentrate. Um, or you can add it to, I've had people add it to like chocolate ganache and all of these different things. So it's really flexible and fun to bring coffee into other parts of the kitchen and your, your diet. Yeah. And, and uh, it's probably worth mentioning, so I don't know if you agree with me, we haven't talked about this before, but one thing that really gets me going is when people are snobby about coffee in the sense of, you know, it is, it's a great taste. We should make it accessible to people. But when people on the coffee forums start you know, uh, punching down on people for who use creamer or or, uh, or sugar or whatever. You know, come on, let people enjoy coffee the way they want to enjoy it. You know, let's invite more people into the into the art of getting into coffee and uh, helping them to appreciate and enjoy coffee rather than uh, you know keeping it as an exclusive club for you know certain people who have very high end equipment. Some of this, you know, espresso machines run thousands of dollars so it's just not accessible so i appreciate what you guys are doing in making that you know good coffee available to people um, on a general level and so the next part that we wanted to talk about was about support groups and so that was a great segue you know sometimes support groups uh you know can be toxic if you don't have the right people in it um but you know in terms of entrepreneurship we talk about it as being a very lonely journey um you know, and I, I'll share quickly, you know, our experience, which is our previous um, company, we uh, were bringing Thai curry sauces in from Thailand and selling it at Mariano's. Um, it was called Sarangud Market. And then ultimately, we closed the company. And one of the reasons I think when we did a postmortem later on was we didn't surround ourselves with people who were in the journey, who could give us good feedback that we would trust, but also encourage us on the journey. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about why this is important to you in the sense of like, you know, what was the experience that led you to, to that uh, re realization that it was very important? And, and how do you kind of, what support networks do you call on today? Yeah, so for me, I think there's like some general wisdom, whether you get it from like, I learned it in business school, or whether you like read a book about entrepreneurship or read some blogs. 
there's this need to have like your professional set of advisors, whether that's like your advisory board or your actual board of directors or just mentors. It's like these people in your space that have deep experience and have gone through this journey before or advised companies you have. And so I knew that was something like I needed to build out. Um, and then for me, I try to arrange it. So there are people within what I'll call my affinity group. So I am a white woman. So having the way I say something versus the way a black man says something or a white man says something is going to be received differently by different audiences. So to me, having mentors and advisors who like share pieces of my affinity um, is really important to me. So people from different industries, so maybe um, some of my friends who are founding software companies um, at the same stage that I am, but then also people who have are much later stage and have natu- national distribution in the CPG space. So kind of horizontal and vertical, if you will, um, like networking across all those spheres because they all have different pieces of advice. And then for me, it's like synthesizing it and bringing it together and figuring out what I want to listen to and how that um, like impacts the choices I make. That's really on the professional side. And I think there's a ton of literature out there. What I haven't heard talked about as much is the personal side, um, which is really important to me. So um, for, and I kind of arrived at this place over the past three months, my romantic partner, who is like a wonderful, wonderful support system for me, has been um, stuck with some visa, visa issues out of the country. And that really like brought it to the forefront for me that like I live with him and our house, there's just one person here instead of two. So I don't run into him in the kitchen or, you know, any of the the times during the workday, we both work from home where I would have seen him. And so realizing that the personal support side for me is a huge part of keeping me motivated to want to build this company. Because as the founder, I am the one who is like pushing us forward. My team is fantastic and they do great work. But the responsibility of the CEO and founder is to set the vision and to keep things moving. And so if I'm not feeling great personally, I don't have the energy to give into my business and my business isn't moving forward. So for me, building that personal support network and that is like one, making sure I do like real actual self-care. So for me, that's meeting my friends that like will give me a hug when I'm ugly crying or make me laugh until I can't stand up anymore. Uh, It's really, really important to keep me happy. And that's what I like fills up my gas tank or recharges my batteries that allow me to to give back to Kavnia. Yeah, and I think that, you know, uh, we've mentioned before that it's sometimes, you know, there's these trendy parts where people talk about self-care, they talk about mental health and, and all of that, but it is real. Um, I think once you strip away some of the trendy parts of it, it's good that it's being talked about because for a long time it wasn't. Um, and I think for a long time startup founders were just expected to work, 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 work and not worry about family or friends. You're just like 24-7 uh, at the business. I remember um, there was one conference I went to where a founder was saying that there was an investor who came and told him, hey, you got this new baby and we feel like you can't give 100% to this business. So what we want you to do is leave the baby with your parents and move to San Francisco and commit yourself for a year to only working on this business. And I was like, you know, no, no. Like that person is going to be miserable and he's going to build a miserable company. That's not the way I think we should be looking at the world uh, and what you talk about support networks, absolutely. I think that personal support networks are very, very important. Um, 
that being said, though, not all of them are going to be, I don't want to say positive, but they're not all going to be encouraging. So do you have any advice for dealing with those maybe sometimes slightly discouraging comments and, and uh, viewpoints from our personal networks as well? Um, for me, I think this applies to my personal network and my professional network. Like, you have to take the advice that works for you. Everybody is going to have an opinion on what you're doing, solicited or unsolicited, I have found. Um, so everyone's going to have an opinion and just sort through the good with the bad and, like, have thick skin, although that kind of, like, is much easier said than done. Um, but be able to, like, move through it and realize that, well, at least the way I think about it, is that comment that might sting or not really help is probably coming from a good place if they're a good person and they're truly trying to help me or they're just trying to tear me down and that's probably not a great relationship for me to continue to be a part of. So I have really found it empowering to cut off relationships that aren't working for me anymore. Not in a rude way, just like I'm not going to, my time is valuable and I'm not going to put my time in this relationship if you don't make me feel like if that's not helping me with my end goals, like I'm not going to spend my time there. And so I have, I found that an empowering thought, although it was a little bit scary before I did it for the first time. But now that I have, it's, I have a really great network of people who are supportive and are there when I need them, but also can deliver constructive feedback to me in a way that actually makes me move my business forward. Because I do think it's valuable to have different opinions or like, hey, have you thought of this? Or I would have done it this way. Not that I always take that advice, but at least thinking through it to ultimately get to my decision, I think is really valuable. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's important. Don't just surround yourself with yes people who will just say you're doing the greatest job ever, but surround yourself with good friends who can tell you the truth, right? Like who can tell you the truth, as they say, in love, right? In, in a good way, in a, in a constructive way. Uh, because if honestly, if something's not working, I would rather hear from my trusted advisors first, rather than from the consumers by the time, you know, I've, I've spent my entire life trying to build this, this whole thing that didn't work. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that support networks are, are, personal support networks are very important. One thing I was also going to say is, um, what I've found, and, you know, maybe you can speak to this as well on the professional side, is also joining groups, a cohort of different, um, of individuals who, you know, I think they call them mastermind groups. So we have one at 1871. Um, shout out to them. Uh, hey, uh, you know, all of you guys have been such a help to me uh, because when you talked about having entrepreneurs uh, alongside you who are going through the same experience or who have gone through that experience, makes you feel like you're not losing your mind because sometimes it does feel like that. Um, so, so maybe speak a little bit to that professional side as well. Like, you know, how do you find those networks? Um, and, and how do you build those? Um, yeah, I completely agree. I think that having networks of people like 1871 or M-Hub or The Hatchery, where there is people, like, it usually involves some type of financial exchange. Like, I'm a member at those organizations, but that membership fees, like, enable them to fund people who work there to be able to provide information and support for me uh, has been really worthwhile, and they are, like, generally pretty special. I recommend joining a specialized one for whatever field that you are in. Um, and like, to me, the, I had the, the freedom to be able to like financially join these organizations um, and have found a lot of value in them. Um, the other side is if finances were, are a constraint or um, 
like for whatever reason there isn't one in your space, I think asking just asking people to talk to you, um, surprising amount of people will say yes. Um, like I think about it from my side, but like people ask me for help. I'm like, oh yeah, I have 15 minutes to to chat with you. So realizing that like other people probably think of you the same way, particularly if you don't, it's not obvious that you're like copying and pasting this email to 50 people. If you're like, Hey, Olivia, I noticed that you're in coffee and working on gender equity. I am thinking about starting a gender equity forward company in snack bars. I would love to chat about how you integrated that. Like a very personalized ask that shows me that you are valuing me for my time and experience, not just like something you found on LinkedIn or the internet. Um, and I'm willing to give you 15 minutes of my time. And I think that's pretty common among particularly entrepreneurs because I have met zero entrepreneurs who got where they are just from themselves. So they're usually willing to give back to people um, at an earlier stage than them. Oh, that's, uh, you know, honestly, we could go on for, for a long time when we just talk about this stuff. It's so, it's so exciting because even in my career, uh, and for those who are listening, even if you're not an entrepreneur, uh, what Olivia said just now, asking people to be mentors or to just talk to you about their journey, I, I, I have so many times I've reached out to folks that I would think would not care, would not want to write back to me or would not even think of talking uh, to me uh, in my old career when I was with the bank. Uh, I would reach out to folks and they would respond because people genuinely want to help others, I think. Um, and so if you reach out in a genuine way where you said, you know, not just like thoughtless, you know, form letter kind of deal, but you actually reach out to them, you'd be surprised by how many people are willing to talk to you and how enriched your life would be um, by talking to those people and not running into the same issues that they did as they were first starting. I I also think that is like doubly or triply too, if you happen to be a student or have a .edu email address. Like I generally say yes to people who ask to chat with me like from a place of good faith, but I will like extra make an effort if they're like, hey, I'm a student and I'm looking to do this. Um, is something, at least for me, that is really, really powerful. Awesome. Actually, there are uh, a few students from the Columbia College who will be listening to this who are working with us on a, on a project right now, so I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, always reach out, always reach out. I think all of us who are entrepreneurs or who have you know, grown at all in our career have done it because of the help of others, so we always want to give back to others as well. So I appreciate the time. We are at the, at the end of the 20 minutes that we had uh, initially planned for this. Olivia, I'd love to have you back someday because I feel like there's so many conversations. We haven't talked about business with a purpose. We haven't talked about a bunch of stuff about you know how we uh, got to where we were. Um, you have had a previous podcast that's a lot longer that talks about your journey. I'll link it in the description. So if anybody wants to listen to that, please go ahead and listen. It's a great listen as well. Uh, and I appreciate the time that you've taken, Olivia. And uh, let's, uh, let's definitely do this again sometime. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for joining us.